Uh, the good news, though, we're going to get a little bit smarter about the NBA draft. We're going to do that right now with Sam Vecini. He writes about basketball. He covers the NBA for the athletic, the NBA draft, as well as being the host of Game Theory. Sam, so much for uh, thanks so much for joining us, man. I know it's a busy week for you. Yeah, how's it going, guys? We're good. Thanks so much for coming on. I've been just hopelessly digging through every iteration of your mock draft because I feel like that's where the insight lies. Uh, I do kind of want to get your thoughts overall on a team that's been very perplexing for me just at the tail end of the lottery, which is Toronto. Like, what direction are they going? I feel like there's been kind of some smoke screens. I don't, I don't think they've been publicizing who they've had work out. Maybe some people think that they offered a promise to Kobe Bufkin. Like, what's the deal there? Yeah, I don't have a great feel for Toronto, to be honest, similarly to you. Uh, sources around the league don't have a great feel for Toronto right now. I think that they are focusing a lot of their energy in the backcourt, at the very least. That seems to be an overriding sentiment. And I think that if Kobe Bufkin was to get to 13, that makes a lot of sense, right? A guy that is a well-rounded prospect who can defend. He can really finish at the basket. He can shoot. They have a lot of different uh, potential iterations of what their backcourt could look like. So uh, Bufkin does make a lot of sense for them at the very least. But Toronto is one of the tougher teams to figure out right now. I think that because they have so many balls in the air in terms of free agency and because there are so many teams in front of them that could make decisions, it is a little bit difficult to get a feel for them for sure. We saw the market just completely flip right now to go second overall. Uh, Brandon Miller is minus 550. You were getting plus Whoa. 115 when we got off the air Tomorrow. last night. Yeah, yesterday. I mean. uh, third overall pick now, yeah. Scoot Henderson's minus 450. Is that what you have? I know you updated your mock about two hours ago. Is that the way that you see it playing out, the first three picks tomorrow night? Yeah, so, so look, I have Brandon Miller at two. Okay. I think that it's very clear the markets are playing defense right now after what happened last season at number one. You look at like the hold in terms of the difference between what your price is on Brandon Miller versus what your price is on Scoot Henderson. And it just is so abundantly obvious that markets are trying to be a bit reactive to what is happening in terms of the information game when things get reported. Because obviously the market flipped last night immediately when Adrian Wojnarowski went on ESPN and said that Brandon Miller is uh, currently in line or on track to be the number two overall pick. Look, uh, all of my information is that Charlotte certainly did not make the pick up until this week. Uh, whether or not they have made that pick is unclear to me in terms of Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. I think Mitch Kupchak literally had a press conference earlier today where he said uh, we hadn't like officially 100% decided and we won't decide until tomorrow. So uh, how much of this is smoke screens? How much of this is real, fake? What I do know is that Charlotte undertakes a very deliberate process in terms of all of their draft decisions. Mitch Kupchak is a guy that generally cares a lot about the idea of the in-person workout. And this is also an organization going through an ownership change. And while the Hornets can say till they're blue in the face that this is Mitch Kupchak and Michael Jordan, like they're the main decision makers here, I do find it hard to believe that like the new ownership that's taking over on July 1st wouldn't have a say here. So I'm just a little bit confused about the overall tenor of the reporting on this, frankly. I find it a bit odd that it's always seemed like a Leonard or a Brandon Miller lean from day one post lottery. It just hasn't been my impression. But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, it's it's a 50-50 choice. And I don't know 
the way it'll go down. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend anybody bet on this market right now, given how strong the hold is. Yeah, I agree. Another market that I feel like is very interesting in a team that I'm not really sure what they're going to do. Troy Weaver said that they're going to take a big swing. Uh, they don't have a lot of picks. Uh, he doesn't want to bunt. He doesn't want singles. He says he's going for the home run, which means the player with the biggest upside. To me, that feels like a Thompson twin. Uh, to you, what does that mean? To me, it would be Cam Whitmore, but I've gotten mixed stuff on whether or not Cam Whitmore is the guy there. I certainly have a Sar Thompson there right now and uh, you know wrote on Monday that I think Asar Thompson is very clearly in the mix at number five at this point. Uh, Cam Whitmore, the you know connections to Troy Weaver, Myriad, he played on Team Mello. Troy Weaver recruited Carmelo Anthony to go to Syracuse back in 2002. And you know he certainly will have as good of intel on Cam Whitmore as anybody. And there's also the Thompson twins and Kevin Ollie was heavily involved in the Detroit coaching search in large part because of a longstanding relationship with Troy Weaver and Kevin Ollie is the head coach uh, or was the head coach certainly at overtime elite. And, you know, you would think that the Intel is going to be strong there both ways. The other name I've gotten there is Jairus Walker, a pretty real amount. I think Detroit has done a better job than anybody in the league at smoke screening though this year i was having this conversation last night with my editor and he asked me to like rank the teams in terms of like the how impressive they've been in their smoke screening uh i think detroit is probably number one because i've gotten everything across the board when it comes to them yeah another team famous for smoke screening deception keeping you out freezing you out but making hell of a draft picks and roster accumulation in general is okc like what is their strategy i've heard they might go after a kobe buffkin or a Bilal koulibaly but then you're talking about like how do those minutes get distributed yeah the, the funniest thing is that you know in that conversation with my editor my number two pick was oklahoma city in terms of the smoke screen so you're 100 percent right there trista it's funny typically with oklahoma city you actually do have like a feel like we kind of knew last year that it was going to be chet holmgren there were rumors ahead of the draft lat or two years ago or three years ago i guess maybe that it was going to be alexei pokashevsky that they really wanted They've, you know, let loose promises on campaign and Mitch McGarry before. And this year, I think that they just decided to flood the zone with information coming from every single direction. And I've gotten six different names. I've gotten trade up. I've gotten trade down. I think that Kobe, the names that are most consistent for me are Kobe Bufkin, Derek Lively, and uh, Bilal Koulibaly there. Sam Presti went to France last week to go see Bilal Koulibaly. Uh, Kobe Bufkin uh, just makes a lot of sense for them in terms of a well-rounded player that they tend to value. Also uh, is younger than guys like Jet Howard and Jarris Walker, despite being a sophomore. And then Lively is the name that doesn't totally fit there because they tend to really like guys that can dribble past shoot at the center position. And Lively is more of just like a defensive savant on that end that doesn't really do that. So... I, you know, I think Koulibaly and Bufkin are probably the two names that I feel best about right now. But uh, again, uh, Oklahoma City has done a great job flooding the zone this year. Sam, where do you think Jaime Jaquez uh, ends up winding up? I'm looking at his draft position right now, 24 and a half, and I've heard some reports that he might go a little bit earlier than many expect. He's going to be in the green room, it looks like. Uh, where do you think he ends up? Do you think he goes before pick 25? Under, 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 under. Jaime Jaquez, I've heard... Anywhere from 18 to 23, maybe he gets to 25. Like, 
I think pretty good shot he goes under uh, that draft range. I've heard teams like Miami really like him. I think that Golden State really likes him. Uh, and I've heard the Nets also quite like him. And then on top of it, I've heard Portland quite likes him. So you're looking at all of those teams in that range there. Uh, it makes me think that it's more likely than not he will be taken there. I don't know that that's a sure thing necessarily, uh, but I feel pretty good about it. That's one of the better, to be honest, that's one of the better line, like betting lines I've heard for betters uh, in this market this year. What do you think Orlando does? Because it's very clear that they need shooting. I've heard commentary around that they love their backcourt, but everything that I've seen tells me that they can't. Like, obviously, there's going to be guards there like Anthony Black at six. Some reaches maybe for, like, a guy like Grady Dick. Like, if you were to say what they do at 6 and 11, what do you think is most likely? Yeah, six, I think it'll probably be – I've heard a little bit of Taylor Hendricks. I've heard a little bit of Anthony Black. I've heard a little bit of Cam Whitmore. And I have heard a little bit of uh, – who was the fourth? Uh, I think that might be it, to be honest, uh, right now. But I think that they're looking on the wing and potentially in the backcourt at Anthony Black. I do think they like Anthony Black. Another non-shooter in an organization that pretty desperately needs shooting. I think that they are kind of well positioned to potentially move up and down the board if they want to, uh, just given the fact that they have six and 11. Uh, there are teams, I think like Utah, that could very well decide that they want to spike up the board in order to get the player that they want, as opposed to risking that, you know, somebody like an Asar Thompson, Anthony Black doesn't get all the way down to number nine. Uh, that's the biggest thing right now with these markets. I think that with how much movement there is potentially, in that six through nine range, five through nine range, including Detroit, it's very difficult to get a read on who's actually going to be making those picks right now, which is why I'm a little bit hesitant on anything in that range when it comes to the markets, because these teams all have certain leans. And if you change the team who's involved, they might have different leans. And that gets a little bit complicated when trying to bet on these markets. Do you think Derek Lively ends up a top 10 pick or do you think he slides out a little bit? I think his range starts at 10 and I think that's a very real distinct possibility. The problem with that again is that Dallas's pick has been known to be on the market now for quite a while. And I think they're going to take it down to draft night and decide what the best deal is, or they're going to take it down to draft night and decide Maybe, you know, if Taylor Hendricks falls, maybe they do love Derek Lively, uh, make a decision at number 10 on what to do. I think that, you know, if they do move that pick, the three names that I've heard the most in terms of teams potentially trying to come up and get are Derek Lively, Bilal Koulibaly, and Kobe Bufkin because other teams believe that those three names are likely to go somewhere 11 to 14. So, I think there is a pretty real chance that you know a team could move up for Lively at 10 or Dallas could take him at 10. But I think his range starts at 10 uh, is where I'm at right now. Interesting. What player do you think will fall out of the lottery or maybe two, three players that you think end up having really promising, you know, impactful NBA careers? Yeah, Hawkes is one. I really like Jaime Hawkes quite a bit. I think that everything that Christian Brown brought to the table this year for Denver, that's exactly who Jaime Hawkes is. He's tough. He's just a grinder. He's going to absolutely be somebody that sticks as a role player for a long, long time. Uh, you know, I think that 
somebody like Leonard Miller is my upside swing in this class. You know, he's six foot ten, can dribble pass, shoot a little bit, has great touch. Uh, was dominant in the G League at the end of the year, averaged like 20 and 13 and almost three assists over the course of his last 12 or so games. R- really, really impressive player who has not played a ton of high-level basketball competition at this point. So for him to be as effective as he was at that level, I think that uh, it bodes well for him long-term in terms of his development. And uh, I'll give you a third name. I think that somebody... Uh, you know, like a Jordan Hawkins has a real chance just due to the shooting. Uh, He has a chance to go 14 maybe, I think, but his shooting ability is just absolutely insane. His ability to sprint off of screening actions and set his feet, it's just unbelievable. What range or what do you think would be a good fit for uh, Nick Smith Jr.? Because you're talking about a guy that was the number one overall recruit in 2022, (laughs) and now we're talking more about Anthony Black. Where do you think he ends up? What do you think would be a good fit for him? Yeah, what is Nick Smith's over-under right now? If 17 you guys and a half. Do you guys have one? 17 Yeah, and a half. I think there's I think there's a chance he goes there, but I think there's a much greater chance he goes over that. Yeah. Uh, the only two teams I've kind of heard are like maybe 15 and 17 potentially. The rest of the landing spots seem to be after 17 at this point. Uh, yeah, in terms of a good fit, it's just going to have to be somebody that's really willing to be patient with him as he continues to grow and mature and uh, develop defensively more than anything. It's going to have to be a coaching staff in an organization that is going to be willing to go through some real growing pains on that end of the court. And he has to improve with the ball in his hand. His handle's a little bit loose right now, and uh, he needs to become a little bit more uh, functional in terms of his strength to be able to deal with bumps and contact on the perimeter to be able to take the most advantage of his uh, scoring ability. Sam, thanks so much, man. Enjoy the draft tomorrow night. Yeah, thanks, guys. Anytime. Thanks for coming on. Sam Vecini does work over at The Athletic. I'm looking at it right now. He's got 180 pages right now for the 2023 NBA Draft Guide, over 130,000 words, and he just updated that two hours ago. I know. I read the whole thing.